Yo, next round is about to start. You ready? Yeah, yeah, just shopping for a car in Carvana. For real? Yeah, Carvana makes it super convenient to shop whenever, wherever. For real? That's a ton of car options. Yep, and these are all within my price range. For really real? You can afford that? Yeah, with Carvana. And boom, just like that, I'm getting it delivered in a couple days. For really, really real? You just bought a car. For real, and you just lost. My turn. Visit Carvana.com to shop for thousands of vehicles under $20,000. Hey, Friday Night Lights fans. It's not only football. Friday Night Lights and Beyond is an episode-by-episode discussion of the hit TV series Friday Night Lights, hosted by yours truly, Scott Porter, who played Jason Street on the show, and my two wonderful co-hosts, me, Zach Guilford, a.k.a. Matt Saracen, and me, Mae Whitman, a.k.a someone who wasn't on the show but really really loves it a lot we will also bring on some special guests answer your questions and tell you about what's going on in our lives today it's not only football friday night lights and beyond is available now wherever you get your favorite podcasts clear eyes full hearts can't lose Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dr. Who Podcast. We appreciate you all being here and supporting the people who support the pods. We love doing it. We have great guests. And uh, I don't know. Gary's been doing, doing a great job producing this thing, and I feel like we're getting better and better and better. We'll continue to do so. Gary's giving me the giving me the high sign. Yeah, I agree. And today is no exception. Do we have any business to get out of the way before I before – I, No, right I, to it. Yeah. Uh, I'll say I'll say take out – ask Dr. Drew. We're, we were going to be, of course, doing that Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We've been interviewing all the uh, – trying to make sense of the pandemic and some of the sidelines uh, and silenced professionals. And lo and behold, I finally realized that all the people that were silenced were seriously high-level academics with extraordinary pedigrees behind them. Those were the people that we elected to silence. Think about that. So those are the people I'm talking to. I'm interested in their point of view. And, of course, uh, don't forget Adam Drew and After Dark. Uh, that continues to zoom along over there at your mom's house. But today it's Dr. Ashley Tapscott. You can follow Dr. Tapscott at, at Carolina Sex Med. She is an expert in the field of sexual dysfunction, board-certified urologist, uh, both in male and female sexual dysfunction, where she is an expert. She's an active educator. And uh, she just returns to us from a giant sexual health conference. Dr. Tapscott, welcome. Hello. Hi there, everybody. And thanks again, Dr. Drew. It's great to uh, to talk with you again. It is. Uh, and let's let's start with that big conference. Uh, what uh, what happened down there? What did you learn? What, what, what were the highlights? What happens? Right. Well, that's interesting to say to sexual medicine conference. Is it like Vegas? Right. Can we talk about it? But of course we can. And I think what's unique about this is it was two sexual medicine societies and medical professionals, largely urologists, but some gynecologists and and really great to have mental health professionals. We have a full mental health professional arm there, which is so important. I think you know that. So it was a sexual medicine society of North America meeting in conjunction with the international society of sexual medicines. So we had people from all over the world. And I think uh, it's great to have all this collaboration, guys, girls, his, hers, and all y'all. So I think, you know, some of the most interesting things that I found out aside from some of the evidence-based stuff, when we're talking about the, the listeners and the, uh, of this podcast, would be, I think we are seeing a turn to wearable technology for sexual dysfunction and information. What does that mean? 
Absolutely. So I can't wait to put this on video for everyone. We can certainly talk about it at some point. I found. Wait, wait, wait. Stop. Where, where do they? If you, if they want to see the video that you're going to put up, yep. where do they go? We're gonna. Uh, we will. So there's two products I'm going to talk about. Let's start with the first one. Um, I was on the ejaculatory guidelines committee for the American Neurologic Association in 2019 and 2020. Unfortunately, there are no FDA approved treatments for either premature or delayed ejaculation or orgasm. It's all what we call off-label in the medical industry, in the medical world. And so there's lots of different, you know, there's creams and gels, but perhaps that rubs off on your partner. Um, But, you know, I think it's really nice to think that partners want to satisfy each other equally. Uh, And I do know there's a bit of shame and embarrassment that happens in the male population when they have you know, an orgasm or an ejaculation too soon. So, so let's stop. So, yeah. so yes, uh, uh, particularly young males complain about this all the time and have the entire run of love lines since 1983. Mm-hmm. Uh, the there were I've seen many different waves of ideas come around. As you said, there is even uh, numbing creams and numbing creams in condoms, and mm-hmm. then there are uh, SSRIs can delay things a bit, but are sort of unpredictable and all have lots of other side effects, of course. But there's – other than kind of working with your partner to try to figure out what you want to do, there's really not been much else. And then on the delayed side, the the problem is completely different. We, that's That all gets shouldered by the female partner who immediately thinks he's not attracted to me, I'm not satisfying him, and I'm not doing a good job, blah, 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 when in fact it has nothing to do with that. So go from there. Keep going. Absolutely. So I think we divided into a couple of different sectors. So I think there's premature, what we call rapid ejaculation. I don't think the definition of premature is 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 less than one to th- one minute or one to three minutes of what we call vaginal latency time. So, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to um, kind of, and not include our men who have sex with men population. Sure, um, but, but, you know, as you know, historically, our sexual medicine studies are done with heterosexual couples. So, you know, this does not mean it doesn't apply to men who have sex with men, but vaginal latency time is something or, or ejaculatory latency time is something that they measure with, you know, typical cis male and cis female intercourse, which is one to three minutes. Now, if your partner wants to be satisfied in more than three minutes, right, then, then that may fall into the category of rapid ejaculation or just unmet expectations and, and, so, and by the way not all women necessarily want that it's like no. they're all over the place so well and, and by the way i mean sometimes you want fast food for dinner sometimes you want a right. home cooked meal well, that's, right so yeah, that's women talking. that's we're really talking about cis females now because uh men pretty much want the sunday with the cherry on top every time they have there's their thing they want and that's what they want and that's it yeah. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. And, and why not? But I mean, sometimes we have more time than others, yes, correct? And sometimes yeah. we're tired at the end of the day, et cetera. So I think that um, I think that we have not had very good treatments. So we initially kind of started with start and stop methods where men kind of try and get to the peak and then baseball, 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 yeah. right? With, you know, or also ejaculate, period. like masturbate yeah. beforehand or whatever. Yeah try, and, yeah, try and get off or ejaculate ahead of time to kind of, you know, prolong the threshold, as we say. There's condoms, which is an okay idea, fabulous for contraception and birth control. However, you know, not if you're with a monogamous partner, maybe not always satisfactory for either, or certainly if you're trying to conceive. Let's talk about our, our couples who are trying to, to have a conception process. And if you're containing sperm and something that's not into the body, mm. that's a problem mm. um, as well. And then um, there is mental health counseling, you know, can be effective in some situations, but certainly, you know, there is a bigger concern with, like you said, SSRIs. So we're talking about 
the typical thing that, that we would talk about in antidepressants. You know, as a class, occasionally can can are well known to decrease libido. So we kind of use that adverse event or side effect to our benefit in premature ejaculation. However, if I was a a, a general urologist and not in the field of sexual dysfunction, I would likely be uncomfortable prescribing an SSRI because it, there are some concerns about the, that class of medication if you're not appropriately trained. Oh my God, the, you're you're singing my tune. I. You know, the primary care guys and gals are the ones that end up doing all the prescribing of that stuff, and they are not trained in it. They have some experience with it, but they really are not trained in it. But let's take a a sidebar for a second down the mental health road just for a moment. So I have generally found that though there was many decades where the mental health focus was the treatment for uh, premature ejaculation or rapid ejaculation, totally worthless as far as I'm concerned – um, but the mental health world as it pertains to sexual health has always been very strange. Uh, and I'm wondering where it's at now. Let me just kind of define what I'm talking about. So for many years, the psychoanalysts had control of American psychiatry and psychology, and they had a very peculiar focus on sexual health um, and really didn't have much that was useful as it really pertained to actual sexual functioning. And oftentimes I have uh, run into people that call themselves experts in sexual health and they're either A, completely untrained uh, and you know don't have really the basic, adequate, really serious mental health training that's necessary to be able to do this stuff. And then on the other side, I see people that do these fellowships after doing psychiatry, after doing psychoanalysis, and these fellowships are so kind of obscure – that they don't really do much I, that I can see for people. It, 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 am I right on both those fronts or all those fronts? And and what's the current state of all this? Yeah, I think you're correct in some of that. And again, I'm not a mental health professional, so I'm not going to speak outside the scope of my practice. My nurses always joke, you know, the number one thing Dr. Tapscott says is I'm a surgeon, not a therapist, mm. um, because there are tools that I'm not at. I spent a long time in school, but mental health and also also pelvic floor physical therapy. Yes. Was that big? Was that big at the conference? Pelvic cord? Oh, of course. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Big deal. So, yeah. so but I, I will say there are two organizations that I do think that have um, fantastic uh, legitimacy in the mental health world for sexual health counseling in the United States. And that is ASECT, which is A-A-S-E-C-T. So the American Association of Sexual Education Counselors and, and, and Therapy and then STAR. And so if someone's looking for a sexual health counselor, and I think, you know, these people are saying we want to treat sexual health conditions. You're not just walking to a big box therapy office, you know, yes. they're, they're However, I again, I am sort of in this area or have been. Okay. And ASACT is great. You're right. They're an excellent organization. But even they have become a little schizophrenic. For, for, a, for a while there, they were really focusing on sexual addiction and compulsions and sort of problematic sexual behaviors. And then they went all the way the other way and said there's nothing negative about any sexual behavior ever. And the people started literally dying of some of their behaviors before they went, okay, well, maybe there's a middle ground. But anyway, so be careful, everybody. Be careful. But here, you know, here, I'm going to put it, let's put a little cherry on top of this. Why don't we say that if there are sexual health therapists that are mental health professionals in sexual therapy, they are going to likely be in the find a provider location on the Sexual Medicine Society yes, of North yes. America. Yes, and, and I think we can help people go for correct. And it's an excellent organization as people that are serious about their profession. But I would add two two sort of caveats to that. You kind of want if if you're if you're in really serious trouble, you want people with, uh, in my opinion, humble opinion. 
MD, LCSW, PsyD, or PhD after their name. Yeah. So that's number one. You want those kinds of training behind this. Uh, and then number two, and this is a harder thing to ferret out, ideology has no place in medicine. And if somebody is ideologically driven, just be careful. Be careful. Even right. if it meets your ideological needs, it's just it's – just, it's just, I've seen it go wrong throughout my career. It always ends up in a bad place and mm-hmm. people always correct course from, from ideological burdens because they are non-scientific. But right. And, and and my this our podcast, our discussion today is not for me to give or elicit medical device or advice specifically. But I think, you know, seeing a medical professional that's interested in sexual medicine that 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 is involved in societies that's on provider websites yes, like the yes. society. And then maybe so rule out a physiologic or an anatomical concern. And then if that person is an expert, they will have a mental health professional in sex therapy that they that they kind of, you know, work with that would be kind of the best case scenario. Yes. Agreed. And and I think my audience knows this is we're here to educate, not to make specific treatment recommendations or anything like that. We're just Absolutely. helping you understand the landscape. Yes. Yeah, so when we if we go back to the ejaculatory disorders, and I actually gave a talk there on delayed ejaculation and orgasm. And I think maybe what you know the listeners here today could garner from this, and, and I think some of our my younger patients understand this better than some of my older cohorts is ejaculation and orgasm, while they may occur together, are two totally separate processes. And uh, they do usually occur together, meaning that uh, you know, if we have a man who has his prostate removed, Me. he can have a great orgasm, but he, the emission of fluid is not there because that's what the prostate does. That's me. I yes. have no prostate. And so yeah. so I have what my previous Loveline co-host would call ghost loads. This is this is the kind of people oh, I yeah. work with. Yeah. I, like, I haven't so. used that. I might use that. <laughs> but, but I think the important thing is, is it, it doesn't usually dis- distract or detract from the sensation and the pleasure. I do no. think there's a lot of association with I see fluid come out, it's the fireworks, right? Yeah, I could see a young male would be kind of preoccupied about that. But as you if you're in a long, stable relationship, it's like, eh, it's just cleaner. Just easier. Sure. Just easier. Yep. <laughs> so. Oh, and, and from my heterosexual fe- you know, cis females, they're like, Oh my God, that's great. Like yeah. this is fantastic. Yeah. I'm I don't have to deal with laundry and yeah. towels and whatever. But yeah. I do think that, you know. We need to to really educate people on the two separate processes because they may be treated differently. And we do have definitions and the guidelines between, you know, lifelong, meaning I've always had a problem with premature or delayed ejaculation or orgasm and acquired, meaning I had it in other relationships or I had it, you know, two years before and now I'm bothered. But I think one of the things that I took away was so we have we do have an unionized lidocaine uh, product uh, that is out in DTC things. And I can talk about brand names or I cannot up to you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Just so people know yeah. what we're talking about. So there's a product called Promesin or Promesin. Oh, yeah. I'd heard about this. Yeah. By Absorption Pharmaceuticals. I have known them for several years. It was actually developed by Dr. Ron Gilbert uh, in, in like the Newport Beach area, California. And it, within seven to 10 minutes, really 10 minutes, it goes into the skin layer. So it's non-transferable to the partner. So you can even have oral intercourse, you know, 10, month, uh, 10 minutes after and it's not a problem. So I think to me, from a topical or transdermal perspective, that's really been kind of a new legacy product because everything else just transfers to the partner and then everybody's just kind of late to the party and it's not any fun. However, the neatest thing that I have seen recently is a product. Now it should be available spring, summer, 2023. So I don't want to be quoted on this, but I came in contact with this company from Israel. Now, as you know, many of our fantastic medical devices get developed in Israel. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people don't know that. That's true. 
It's a very interesting thing. So I'm going to show you this and maybe we can get this. We'll get some information there. So this is called into Mm -hmm. now what's sexy about the packaging. A, I think it's just sexy in general, but it kind of looks like a condom or a prophylactic packaging, which is discreet, which we are familiar with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course, because we're very fancy, we've got like a QR code on the back. If you have any concern about instructions. So what is into so into is a clinically proven management on demand treatment for premature ejaculation. And they're also working on female products. So I'm going to kind of show you what it is and then we'll talk about it. So it is like this little black butterfly shaped patch that has an adhesive on it. And the men put it at the bottom of their perineum, or as we would call the taint, right? Some people call it the taint area between the scrotum uh, and the, and the, uh, and the anal region. And it is a revolutionary device that basically it has a little touchpad on it that has a fifth, about a 15 minute battery. And it sends a signal to those muscles to delay ejaculation during intercourse. Wow. It does. does I know, it, right? Is it doing something to the pudendal nerve itself or is it muscular? No. No, so it's it's just thought to basically kind of be uh, electrical muscle stimulation technology to delay ejaculation. So this is not an antidepressant. And my problem with antidepressants is they work, but unless somebody's having sex every day, or maybe that's part of their job, you know, maybe they're in an, in a film industry, or you know, to take an antidepressant every day for something that maybe happens three or four times a week, sometimes that's a stretch for people, and I respect and understand that. But this is non medical non-surgical. It does not cause genital desensitization like some of the creams and gels. When we talk about some of the clinical markers in terms of that, it improved the ejaculatory latency time by three, almost three and a half times. And the sense of self-improvement is very important. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you apply it, you don't have, you know, you, you trim the hair, you don't have to shave the hair, you apply it to the perineum, or like I said, the taint between the scrotal sac and the anus, you hit a little button when you're ready. And then when you're done, it either runs out of battery or you power off and you throw it in and you discard of it in, in your usual trash. Interesting. So uh, I'm sure these listeners will look forward to that. And you said yeah, there was some- the starter pack will have a low and a high intensity because we're aware that people aren't all the same. By the way, I have no association with this company other yeah. than just meeting them. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's immediate effect, drug free, disposable, it's discreet. And then I think it has further applications for great wearable technology, you know, on demand that is safe for, you know, guys, girls and, and everybody in between. You said there's some female technologies. Is that for difficulty having orgasm or excessive yeah. sensitivity? Yeah. So I have spoken with this um, company and they are eager to, uh, to develop some female technologies for kind of all of the above. Either we're discussing pelvic pain. I mean, this is kind of, like I said, fresh off the the plane from Miami Sunday night. So, you know, this is, we're talking about pain. We're talking about increased pleasure, increased blood flow, arousal, et cetera. Because I think there's a lot of, you know, vibrators, et cetera, on the market. But I feel like this is a really unique product. And I'm I'm excited to see how it goes. Well, I presume it's also specifically physiologically targeted to, you know, these issues. In other words, it's just not a vibrating instrument. It's something that's something about the frequency yeah. of vibration or intensity or whatever goes specifically at that physiology. Now you you quickly mentioned surgical treatments. I'm not aware of any surgical treatments. Are people messing around with that too? For procedures for premature for premature as yeah. as a prostate cancer, you know, patient yeah. and post prostatectomy 12 years. 
there is a definite change, but I would call it positive. <laughs> and so I made me it made me wonder. Huh, I wonder if anybody's messing around with stretching the nerves or something for guys that are really desperate for some change because it's something they'd be hard to control for, right? You, how do you know right the zone? But you, you tell me. Yeah, I, I totally agree. But I, I think that you know what I'm looking for is low morbidity. This is going to be very inexpensive. I think I don't want to do not quote me, but I think it's going to be fifty dollars for a two pack or something. So I think. Again, there are no, you know, in the AUA guidelines, there are no endorsed surgical therapies for. Is anybody, is, is anybody trying that anywhere in the world? Or I don't think. I think it's just such a complex process. I think the nerves, as you are aware, are very small, and yeah. I think there is significant morbidity associated with that. And and you know, look, I'm a surgeon. I love to operate and fix things, but you know, that's not a benign process. Yeah, no, I know. I, I get it. But it just it was weird that I had even the thought. I thought, mm, I, know, yeah. I know urologists. But we're working on it. Trust me, that's why I'm here with you. So. Yeah. And and by your, your, the surgeries that you like, most of your day is spent putting in implants. So this morning I did two penile implants before you and I are chatting. And yes. people get weird about that procedure. But my understanding is that's one of the happiest patient groups uh, you can possibly encounter. Well, I, I think it can be, but I understand that there there are not a lot of, of quote, experts. We do over 30,000 penile implants in the United States per year, uh, and I had the luxury of being with some of the world's experts, uh, you know, this past weekend uh, between Rome and Colombia and the UK and Germany, et cetera. So I think that it, it is in good hands, a, a fairly quick outpatient procedure, depending upon the facility and the patient and their health. But, you know, there is infection. There are things that can be life altering while you're trying to do a good life altering thing. No different than maybe an orthopedic joint replacement. You know, if you have a knee or a hip replacement and you have an infection, you know, you, that joint's out of commission for a hot minute. So, you know, same thing with the penile tissue. And I think that's important to have good expectations and discussions around that. So I listen to you very carefully when you're talking, and you 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 slip things past, and so I like to always go back to them. Uh, and you slip past the uh, trimming of the hair, but not shaving of the hair. Uh, yeah. Are you worried about four years gangrene from all the shaving that's going on? And explain what that what I'm asking. Well, the trimming the, the these were the instructions from the N2 device. Now, if you're talking about surgery, I use a surgical trimmer, and and no, I'm talking about the fact that. We live in a day when men are grooming and women are grooming. Yeah, manscaping. And, and there's a lot of late razors being deployed. And I saw yeah. one urologist say once, like, yes, please, maybe not so much. Then less Fournier's gangrene for me. So explain what Fournier's gangrene is and where that happens. Absolutely. So, so Fournier's gangrene is basically necrotiz- what we call in the medical world necrotizing fasciitis or skin-eating bacterial infection of the, under- the undercarriage of the man in general. I've never really seen it in a woman. It perhaps might exist, but the Fournier's... I don't even, yeah, I don't even think about it in a woman. I don't know that that right, would I be mean, called that even. I don't think so either. Yeah. I would have to. You've given me homework, Dr. Drew, yeah. per usual. Yeah. But, but basically, it's between, you know, can encompass the scrotum and the testicles all the way down to the anal region. Usually a result of someone who might be have poor blood sugar control or diabetes, out of control diabetes. Right. Not um, even out of control, but we, we associate it with diabetics. So if you're a diabetic, you're obese, maybe the razor is not your friend. That and yeah, and or you know, someone shaving, they're popping some abscesses or bad pimples down there, or Uh, something called a urethral stricture, which is the urine or the pee channel uh, through the penis, may have some narrowing or scar tissue where infection can build up behind that and spread to the tissues around it. It can have devastating complications. I would tell you, 
I mean, I'd have to look back to my residency literature. I trained in Philadelphia, but we had almost a 50%. So one out of two men died of this when they came in because it's just such a, you, you have to just cut away, cut away until you just get to almost nothing. Some of these men are left with testicles outside of their body uh, for a period of time to just try and get away of the tissue because it's attached to the tissue, that bacteria. So, so uh, I saw one of these in, in my ICU rotation back in the day. And, and when people hear in the press about the flesh-eating bacteria, so-called, before COVID, that's what they were trying to scare us with. But that's and what, MRSA. And yeah. MRSA. And that's what Dr. Dr. Tapscott is talking about. And not only do they have to peel away the infected tissue around the penis and, and taint and perineum, but uh, the guy I was dealing with had to be ungloved from essentially his mid-abdomen down to his knees. Uh, you got to keep just taking off the tissue. You just you're just exposing the muscle. Essentially, it's just like a giant burn. It's almost like a forest fire of the skin. Yeah, yeah. And you, um, it's a it's a crazy thing when you see it. It's this dusky blue appearance, and it just it's literally you see it moving like a fire. It's crazy. I, and I feel like it's a smell you can see also. Like it's just something you never forget. Yeah. Yep. That's true. Uh, and. So back in our days, that was all thought to have been clostridium, and now other other bacteria have gotten involved in the act of necrotizing fasciitis. It's called necrotizing fasciitis formally. So let's let's get a little bit into sort of youthful misadventures and things that you've seen, and sort of it doesn't have to be exotica necessarily, but that people should be aware of that some of their behaviors. You know, think I think the the sort of classic is penile fractures. Yeah, that, that's sort of the thing that uh, youthful misadventures might lead to. I've mentioned repeatedly that uh, the health insurance doesn't always cover the full cost of an emergency flight. Even with comprehensive coverage, you can still get hit with substantial deductibles and co-pays. Protect your family, protect your finances with an Air MedCare Network membership. As a member, if an emergency arises, the expense of an air medical transport is completely covered when flown by an AMCN provider. Membership costs as little as $85 a year and covers your entire household every day, even when you're away from home, of course. That is just pennies a day. We all know that the unexpected can happen, and AMCN membership is protection no family should be without. And for a limited time, as a Dr. Drew podcast listener, you'll get up to a $75 e-gift card when you join. Simply visit airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash Drew and use that offer code Drew. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, and this holiday season, do something special for someone in your life, you. Holiday can be a tough time. I think everyone knows that, and having someone to talk to about your feelings and what you can do about it is a gift. Whether or not you've been in therapy, this is now the time. There's no longer any excuses when you have better help. This idea of stigma or embarrassment running into somebody, none of those things apply any longer. It's, it's, there's just no excuse. You take care of the rest of your body. Why don't you take care of your brain? As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists, 100% online, plus it is affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with the therapist. If things are not clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. Could not be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Drew. That is betterhelp, better, H-E-L-P.com slash Drew. Our friend Jordan Harbinger, the Jordan Harbinger podcast is something you really should be listening to. I know people tell you that, but Jordan is an interesting guy, a smart guy, crazy life experiences, brings interesting dynamic to the conversation, always pulling useful, practical insights out of his guests. 
And uh, I, the guests are carefully selected. I, I've really learned something, in particularly in recent months. I enjoy listening to the Jordan Harbinger Show. They cover a wide range of topics, so there's an episode for everyone, no matter what you're into. For instance, uh, how a professional art forger somehow made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia. That's the kind of thing you will see at the Jordan Harbinger Show. I enjoy this show. I think you will, too. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. It is The Jordan Harbinger Show. It's, it's funny that you say penile fracture. So for some reason, I was always kind of the black cloud on call in residency, and I got more penile fractures than anyone, I feel like. <laughs> and, and so I would have chief residents graduate, and they'd say, Ash, I, if you get, I really don't want to come in. I'm off. But if you get a penile fracture, can you please call me? Cause I haven't seen one yet. And I said, I don't know what I'm doing, which is great. Cause I was going, I ended up going into sexual medicine anyway. So a penile fracture. So the penis is not a bone, although I joke that it's the most important bone in the body, but it's not a bone. Uh, it is basically kind of a double rimmed, you know, tire with a thick coating uh, called the tunica albuginea, which is also the coating of the testicles um, that protects that tissue. And a penile fracture is when that tissue, that that strong tunica gets flexed or torqued or bent in a way, perhaps you miss the intended target. Uh, if we're talking about heterosexual intercourse, usually happens in what I call like woman superior or woman on top, if you want to say. Um, but it can happen in any kind of an intercourse. And basically the penis bends, that tissue layer tears, and then these spongy blood-filled erectile tissue, that blood starts to leak outside of the penis. So you and it can go across the urethra. You can even tear the urethra. Yeah, you can tear the can, urethra too. And it could be both cavernous bodies. And you essentially mm-hmm. lose your erection, and you the purple spreads all through the region. You get big purple penis testicles. Anywhere a can touch, you got yeah, it. Yeah, uh, and it, the guys the, when they see it, they and and sometimes they even because there's there's a fracture of the urethra or tear of the urethra potentially, they will actually get blood out of the urethra also, right? Yeah, they can't actually that that is a sign likely of urethral injury. Obviously, you know, the unfortunate part about penile fracture is everybody's embarrassed. Like it's kind of the old like, hey, walk it off, man. Like, you know, like the boy, walk it off. But if you start to have what we call eggplant deformity, which is why the apple emoji has been so funny, right, to urologists and those alike, because that's what it's called the eggplant deformity, which is what the penile fracture indicates. So you will get bruising, swelling, that blood leaks out. I'm in the world of NASCAR. So, you know, I live up in NASCAR territory. So I always say, you know, you got a flat tire immediately. If you have a penile fracture, that penis will go down immediately. You may hear a pop or a crack. You should start to have immediate bruising and swelling. The sooner you get to someone, I know it's embarrassing, but the better off your chances are of of decreased risk of permanent erectile dysfunction, scar tissue formation, and curvature. We have data up to 24 hours after fixation, but if someone shows up to me, you know, three days later, we don't always take them to surgery. There are guidelines on this and, and, you know, we're not always sure, you know, how they're going to perform in the future. Awful. The, the ones I worry about are the ones that sort of just blow out the sidewall, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they, those are the ones that ignore it. You know, they, yeah. they just get the, I, and does the, do those heal normally or do those always require surgery? No, so they may heal, but what they might form is something called Peroni's disease or a Peroni's plaque. And now the mechanism is different because it's an injury, which Peroni's is more, more thought to be like repetitive micro injury without like a big blowout. But that becomes a calcified scar yeah. that basically limits the expansion 
expansion, expansion of the penile smooth muscle. So you might have, you know, narrowing, bottlenecking, hinging, curvature, your penis may not fill, you may not be able to achieve or maintain full erections at that point. Um, so, you know, I always say it's the weak, that and testicular torsion are like the weekend spoilers of urology. So, um, but, but we, you know, we are available and we do take care of those routinely. If you have one, we just go in there and just over sew that tissue, kind of put everything, you know, put a patch on the inner tube, if you will. And usually those gentlemen do very well. And we will just pass quickly by testes and testicular masses. Do you have a little primer on that for young men? Please, please touch yourself. Yeah. You know, and always for pleasure, but also, you know, for prosperity and posterity, please make sure that you're doing testicular self exams. Um, You never know what's down there and you can't rely on your partners to find it. Certainly if you have multiple partners or, or people you're not with regularly. So don't be afraid to talk about that area. It's 2022 going on 2023 and we have so many things to help you. And I, I would hate, you know, that testicular cancer is a very, usually a very curable condition. Right. Um, and I, and I applaud those men that examine themselves. And, and most of the masses in the testes are not testicular cancer, but can af- potentially affect functioning and fertility and other things, de- depending on what it is. So it's just, yeah, and we're in, we're in November now. Right. Yeah. So, so it's important to discuss for sure. Yeah. November. Um, Oh, shoot. I was thinking about so many different things here. Uh, as it pertains to this, there's a – okay. I'm just thinking of the things that men are preoccupied about over the years. They, of course, preoccupy about size. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. But but there are actually things that affect size. The penis can actually scar if it's not used properly and this sort of thing. So give us a little bit on that. I don't think a lot of men understand this. And there are things that – yeah, you know, I suppose some men circulating testosterone levels might have some effect on size too. I, tell me what you think. Yeah, I think it's multivariable, and I think I think that is one of the biggest challenges I have in my office. So I'll give an example. You know, I have a gentleman very recently. I performed a penile implant on him, and he came to me and gave me a certain measurement. And I said, I believe we're using the same metric system, but we must be using different rulers. So I need you. <laughs> I measured him in front of he and his wife and said, this is your stretched penile length because we can push all the way into the pelvic bone, understand obesity and abdominal fat pads. Okay. That the FUPA as they call it in women or, or, you know, that, that kind of fat pad in men, the beer belly, et cetera, barbecue belly, you know, biscuit belly in, in my neck of the woods. You know, when you increase that fat pad, you are decreasing the length between your external penis and the internal ligament. So even small weight loss, you know, can affect increase in penile size. If you don't and, use and, it, and the circulating estrogen levels from all that adipose tissue. Uh, 100%. Yeah. So, and then perhaps testosterone. So I think it is a muscle. It, I do believe if you don't use it, you, you lose it. We do have studies that are published in the sexual health literature about vacuum device therapy, soft data, which is a joke, soft versus hard, right? But soft data that shows that we do have increase in men that have penile implants before and after surgery. I do believe in in the post-prostatectomy, post-cancer survivorship world, you know, using that muscle if it's not working for a while is important. Uh, And I think that there's a lot of emphasis placed on length. And I think you and I have talked about this. This is kind of an evolutionary thing where fertility and penile length is kind of paramount. But I don't see anybody out there measuring vaginas. And, you know, I really am interested in the women who have such big complaints because they don't come to my office. So I do a lot of reassurance. Again, not a therapist, but I think we have to talk about what's reasonable. And it's pretty rare in my office that I actually see like what I would call a short penis. It's pretty rare. 
And what, what do we have a number for what that would be? I don't know because a lot of these are buried penis again from very uh, obese or perhaps they have other pelvic procedures that yeah. causes scarring. So I think that's a real anatomical problem yeah. rather than, you know, just a discussion point. But, you know, what's interesting, I'm glad you brought up this topic. So I found another device at my meeting that I think um, your listeners and you might be interested in learning about. Okay. Let's hear about it. This is called Firm Tech. Um, and actually, I've been uh, vigorously emailing uh, their these guys because I was actually kind of impressed by them. And sometime maybe we can get a video of this. So I'm always in on the lookout for great Vano occlusive bands, rings, etc. And I know I don't want to use the word that we can use with the c word to talk about a ring or a band. I think we, we can say Vano. we can say cock ring on a place. We like can this. say that on yeah. here. Well, I wasn't yeah. sure because all the platforms. You know, yeah, it's not. Know. It's not YouTube. We're just straight up platforms. Yeah. Debutante, so I have to mind my p's and q's. Yep. So this, I will tell you, I'm always on the lookout for unique products, and I think there are some good ones on the big box stores and your home delivery service. I'm interested in finding stuff that fits almost for everybody that's affordable and functional. So this is called firm tech. So this is actually an elastomer. Um, so it is not, you know, it is not silicone. It is not rubber latex. It's an elastomer. What's interesting is it has this kind of proprietary hook on it that can go around the scrotum and the testes. So if you need a tighter fit, it can go on rigid or soft. But let me tell you the coolest thing about this. Okay. And I, they gave me one because I told them I'm going to talk to Dr. Drew and I got to bring him presents. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So are you and your listeners, not just you, because I know Susan. So this is a, they have the regular band, but then they have a rechargeable data sensing device. Wow. I Crazy. first, I think this is the first, I know it's the first we're talking about it. Okay. I'm so excited. So I charged it with the USB this morning. So here's the story with this. So it's the same band, but this has an implantable programmer in it that has an app that you can put around your penis at night and look at nocturnal erections. Oh, interesting. Are you guys going to use that diagnostically? You think? So I, so here's the thing. So I have some statistics on it. Cause I said, I need some information cause I'm coming to a real deal medical professional that is brilliant. And he's going to ask me all the questions. <laughs> So, so it's USB rechargeable. You can track your own nocturnal erection. So let's just say maybe you're on some um, PDE5 inhibitor therapy. So maybe you're on some sildenafil or tadalafil. Like what's happening to my penis at night, not just at sex? What's happening to my penile erections? Do I have a sleep disorder? Am I on an SSRI? Did I start finasteride for hair loss? Am I post-prostatectomy? And is my penis awake at night because it's not awake during the day? So this traces back to an app that can go to your phone that you can monitor yourself, you can share with your healthcare pre- uh, professional. And I just think it's darn cool. Now, not to mention they put the little Fitbit vibrating part. I don't Fitbit, not endorsed by Fitbit, but you know, that's kind of when I liken it to um, that is actually the little nub is would be for heterosexual intercourse right near the clitoris on the woman. So I think that's also exciting. So if you don't think for two seconds, I'm not talking to them about female technology, we're doing that. So anybody that has diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, hypertension, psychogenic ED, I think, Dr. Drew, this is fantastic. Oh, you, yeah. It, well, it looks to me like as much as anything, a diagnostic instrument, too, particularly, Isn't it all? Yeah, particularly for diabetics and for people's sleep disturbances, anxiety, yeah. differentiating these things. And then, um, I don't know, maybe also sort of reassuring men. And, and can it be used – can it be used for functioning also? To, yeah. So, yeah. So if you if you get like the the wearable technology, yeah. okay. And by the way, I had them demonstrate it to me. I saw it on the, the guy's phones. I had them give me two of their products. I'm like, I need to have these in the flesh, literally. 
Um, so it's the exact same device. This one, the one with the little um, little technology is maybe a tiny bit thicker, but basically they're exact same. So you can wear it just as a veno occlusive band because you have a little bit of problem maintaining erections or just for excitement recreation, or you could use it with the tracker. Um, and again, so I actually approached them and for your listeners, they can go to myfirmtech.com and put in Dr. Ashley and get a 20% off code. Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-Y. You got so, it. So, so I want to go back to the, uh, scarring and size thing. I, I was yeah. a little surprised. I, I, that, that's something I became aware of sort of late in my career. W- where does the scarring occur? How does that happen? If so we're talking gonna, about Peyronie's disease? Not Peyronie's. Well, we should include that in the conversation. But I, I heard some urologists saying that you know you have to use your penis because it will scar and shorten. And I thought, oh, interesting. I'm not even sure what she's talking about. Uh, yeah. And then include Peyronie's in the conversation. Go, go ahead. Yeah, so I don't I don't think we can tease everything out separately. So I, I think when we talk about scarring, I'm going to use a medical term we call fibrosis, right? So fibrosis, or if we were, let's back it up to like day zero, endothelial dysfunction in the penis. What does that mean for, you know, our common patients, common listeners? Is that vascular it, endothelium? Yeah. So, so, so arterial so, endothelium, okay. Yeah, arterial. So, so that is a dysfunction of the inner lining of the very basic cells that make your blood vessels. Now, understand the penile blood vessels are about four times smaller than your bigger blood vessels. So if you've had cardiac stents or if you have high cholesterol or diabetes, and those things may be under control, there is a very basic level of dysfunction that happens over years that accumulates where people say, well, I'm 65 or well, I'm 45 and I've been treated for high cholesterol or diabetes since I was 20. It's not an aging thing. It's a progression of disease. Mm-hmm. Smoking, huge. You know, if nobody wants, if everybody's smoking a cigarette right now, listening to this, I know it's your thing. I'm drinking my rock star right now. But the bottom line is, is you pick up a cigarette, it kills your penis. If you don't want to quit for any other reason, please stop for your penis or your yeah. partner. And I would agree uh, for the diabetics, picking up that muffin is a similar. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, I, you know, sugars go up, penis goes down. Hmm. Uh, so, so in terms of the scarring, so I think there's two types of scarring. I think there's scarring with wear and tear on the penis use. Um, maybe they're not all the way firm and they're kind of jamming it into a certain spot. Maybe if we're talking about female partners, those women may not be very well lubricated or their tissues may not be very elastic because of, hormonal issues, menopausal issues, um, and then also positional issues. If there's a little bit of torque or things that we're not paying attention to at the time. So I think wear and tear and then internal fibrosis because of other disease state conditions. And, and by the way, we, we're not specifically talking about female sexual dysfunction today there. I've done a few other podcasts on that. I'll have Gary maybe post what those were. If you want to know a little more detail. And I'm game uh, for that too. Yeah. yeah we can do from, from the gynecologist. Yeah. Uh, I have a anato- I have a couple of anatomical well an anatomical question just for me. Um, we, <laughs> you know, in medical school when you're in your anatomy lab in year one and you find you hear all these names of all these crazy uh, anatomical sort of features of the human body, some of them catch your attention and become a source of humor. And uh, back in my first year of medical school, we would always talk about freezing our – when we would go skiing, we would go, God damn it, I'm freezing my Dartos tunic off. 
And and I noticed you mentioned the tunica albuginea. I've always wondered what the difference between those two little tunics are. Yeah. Yeah. So so the dartos muscle is really the muscle fibers of the scrotum. So, you know, if anybody Do, wants is to Is it technically called the dartos tunic or is it's just called, it's, called the dart, it's called the dartos tissue. Oh, tissue. Okay. And there's they're they're technically from skin to the internal testes are nine layers of tissue. So yeah. when you guys think you're not complex, I didn't, there's nine layers of tissues down there. Okay. So you start at the skin and we could go through all of them, but basically the dartos tissue is the muscle that kind of draws everything up. It's very vascular. If you have any scrotal surgery, that's kind of what swells a lot, what can bleed a lot. And if anybody wants a fun at home experiment, uh, when we talk about like testicular torsion too, you can kind of run your finger along your inner thigh or somebody sexy can, whatever. And if you see your testicle kind of draw up, that is the dartos at work. And and the cremasteric muscles, is that yeah, another and, layer? Yeah, is that the same? The cremas- yeah. So no, it is, it's different. The cremasteric, re- it's called the cremasteric reflex. So that, I see. That's what it's so it's, I always thought those were cremasteric muscles. Okay. So the cremasteric yeah, reflex yeah. pulls up the dartos muscles. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it Got pulls it. up on both. Yeah, but but and down low, you know, the testicle is like an egg kind of. It doesn't have a hard shell. It's a really robust kind of a, a strength layer that holds kind of the mushy testicle together. And the tunic albuginea is what gives it the wrinkly appearance. Uh, uh, no, no, that's just a scrotal skin. No, the tunic albuginea is beautiful and smooth. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it's it. not. Yeah, and and if you have testicular torsion, anybody that's listening and 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 you know, young, old, etc., audience, if you've had a twisted testicle. It's it is it is standard practice to take that the normal testicle and kind of tack it down to the side of the scrotum with the tunica so it doesn't spin again. Um, but you know it is it is complex and it and the reason the testicles are where they are evolution wise is usually a temperature based result because the testicles to make sperm have to they don't need to be held so close to the body so that's why the cremasters muscles kind of move and groove and you have kind of that up down oh it's cold in here my testicles are drawn in tighter. Right. They, they try to maintain a certain certain temperature. Uh, the other thing that guys always ask about is a, a phenomenon that some get where the testicle actually roll up into the inguinal canal. Yeah. What What is that and what, does anything need to be done about it? And is it associated with inguinal hernias or anything? What What's up there? Yeah. So I hear that, you know, a lot of times. So a lot of times, sometimes those testicles are smaller for multiple reasons. Sometimes there's a defect in the canal. There are some genetic kind of deformities of looser, gooser tissue that allows those things to kind of spin and move. It is a problem. And, and I, you know, there's not always a one succinct cause for anyone, but, you know, I do discourage people from just jumping to get that pulled down because sometimes there can be some nerve entrapment. And well, I mean, oftentimes they can just push, they can just push it down. It's, it sort of rolls in and out. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, young in younger men or in the pediatric population, if you have testicles that are in the abdomen, that can be a risk. That's different. That's different. Yeah. I I just get, I get occasionally the guys will talk about, they, they, they see it Occasionally, that will just sort of roll up, and they can see it at the yeah. inguinal ridge there, yeah. and uh, and they push it back down. But sometimes, if they're in intercourse, they can smash the testicle against the yeah. against the female partner. Yeah, and then that may be a role if there's you know the the spermatic cord goes all the way up into the abdomen, which is why when you get kicked down there, you feel it like in your belly, and you get nauseous. That might be a great role for maybe a pelvic floor physical therapist if there's some muscles that are out of balance there. Oh, so that so literally Kegel type it might might keep things in place. 
or or the reverse, which is called down training. So I think the only form of pelvic floor exercise we're kind of familiar with, kind of the buzzword is the kegels or the kegels. But but really, a lot of those men, I have a lot of young, thin men that have what I call hard flaccid syndrome. And that's a whole other thing we can talk about. What is that? Yeah. Well, hard flaccid syndrome is is basically, and I can kind of see these guys walking in the door. I would say they're usually under mid 40s. They're usually thin. They're usually very lean. They've got some really tight pelvic floor. They may have a job, like maybe they work in the restaurant industry and they're on their feet all day or, or and they're in a car, they're driving for sales, et cetera. And it's just this really tight cornice tend to be heterosexual men. So they're not having anything usually inserted in the anal region, which is really the way to get to the, the core there. And these muscles just get so tight and ropey and, and really hunkered down that it pulls the penis where it gets kind of this, it's a soft penis, but it's also kind of a hard penis. And they have a lot of pelvic pain and discomfort with and without intercourse. It, it, it's it's soft, it's harder when it's flaccid or it's more flaccid when it's hard or both? It can be either way. It has kind of a woody texture, if you will be. So they're, they're sitting there in my office. They do not have a flagpole erection, but the penis is yeah. full and kind of terse, if yeah. you will. I mean, you know. And then they mm-hmm. get pain from all that congestion. They get pain from all that. A lot of pain. There is a lot of pain. You know, we talked about ejaculatory disorders. There, there are pain disorders with ejaculation as well. Some of them may stem from prostate irritation or inflammation, but could also be pelvic floor musculature or testicular scrotal in nature as well. So let's finish our conversation with that particular topic as men understand it as blue balls. Yeah. So, yeah, it's always, and that's a really tough one in my office. So, you know, I think blue balls is just kind of, you know, some congestion and excitement. I do think it's a, a bit of a psychological phenomena as opposed to an anatomical phenomena. We could certainly pull papers. And again, you can give me homework and I'll go back and look at some things. But I think blue balls has just, it's a real big locker room, you know, locker room previous, what we refer to as tech, you know, terminology. Um, but I do think there's some buildup and there's some angst. And, and we do have a lot of men that have prostate problems from not having ejaculations. For yeah, my sense after having talked to these, spoken to these guys over the years is that they're now, – now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the seminal vesicle, the fluid production by the prostate and the storage in the seminal vesicles can be stimulated by sexual activity, Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the the only function of the prostate in the body, other than to give me a career and to <laughs> screw up people's life with cancer, yeah. is it makes ejaculatory fluid. But but it right? builds so, up in the seminal vesicles with stimulation, right? And, and sperm, right. And yeah. there's there's all kinds of things with when we talk about electro ejaculation for fertility and men with maybe spinal cord or injuries or other like colon surgery, et cetera. So it's a, again that's that complex process. So I do believe there can be some discomfort from storage. Yeah, I think but, it's storage you know, meets prostate inflammation meets lymphatic buildup yeah. or something. It's some Again, combo. Complex. Yeah. But I think in general, you know, I would say to everyone listening today, please don't use blue balls as an excuse to a partner. Of I, I think I think we're way beyond that and I think my question is is I don't know, did your partner have a satisfactory sexual experience before you just start, you know, racking up zeros and put it in their face? So. I completely agree. If and you want to see that partner again, if you don't, then I don't, you know, it is a thing. And, and and if you have a congestion and the partner is now not involved anymore, go go relieve yourself. That's okay. You can do well, that. Well, sometimes people don't know how or can't. And I will say, not advertising for all of them, but but there are some pelvic floor physical therapists who do implement prostate massage in a, in a medical fashion 
that that is medically appropriate. I, I have found most of these guys get relief with ejaculation. They they just want to they just don't want to do it alone. They want to blame it on their partner. Blah blah blah. Stop already. Stop. Come on. They, yeah, they, I think that, I think that's that's where the honest discussion comes in, which is why I'm so glad that you're here. You know why well, I'm just. Re- it's it's also a really important point to leave this educate this this uh, particular conversation because it's own your sexual health take care of your sexual health it's complicated as i know dr google is out there and makes people even more confused but there are people like dr Ascott around that can help and uh, don't don't be afraid to ask but yeah the- i think your orgasm is your responsibility number one right just like your physical fitness and your you know, nobody's gonna shake you and say go to the gym i mean unless you're able to pay somebody to do that right but i think that we it, it's part of your it's the World Health Organization in 1992 recognized sexual health as a basic human right. So it is part of your health and wellness overall. See what, you know, become literate. If we need resources, we can get everybody resources. Understand your own body before you want to blame it on someone else because you're going to have different experiences and you have to know what makes you tick and you deserve to know that for your sense of well-being. I'm just glad we had this conversation because so many of the questions I get over the years is, am I normal? Am I normal? Am I normal? What about this? So the, we, I think we sort of surveyed the landscape adequately today to answer most men's questions. Other than the Twitter at Carolina Sex Med, where do you want people to go to see you? They can go to she, S-H-I, Carolina.com. That's my sexual health institute within Carolina Urology Partners. And, you know, telemedicine is important. And please, if you're listening in Kansas or in Mexico or someone else, somewhere else, you know, I have the beautiful part about being a committed, you know, physician champion for sexual medicine is that I have colleagues and friends all over the world and all over the United States. So if you can't get to me, we can get to you. And I want to make sure you have reputable, established treatment options, even, you know, consumer-based products. I'm always on the lookout for those because I want to make you happy and I want you to put faith. A lot of people, as we started this conversation, claim to be experts. But as I tell my urological friends like yourself, that you guys are the experts. This is where you start. You've got to get the medical piece right or else you're just... Yeah. I say I treat the leaky and the freaky. So, you know, we will will take care of it. And uh, by the way, November is also national. National Bladder Health Awareness Month. There's a few bunch of things going on from there. But yeah, I just, I think that um, I don't want men and or women or any partners listening to this to, uh, to think that, you know, we have to go pay a bunch of money to have something that's legitimate. You will find a legitimate professional. I would use the medical societies and mm. those find a provider links and any questions, you know, they can always, we can always, you know, do this again and we will find, we do some Q and A, we can find out what, how to help these people, but I don't want you to hurt yourself in the process. And I don't want you to come out of pocket for thousands of dollars for unestablished treatment. Dr. Tapscott, thank you so much. And we'll see you all next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com.
On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, including how skating legend Tony Hawk virtually defined the entire sport. Check out this preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show. I picked up skating at the tail end of its first boom in the 70s. That was the trend. And then when I discovered the possibilities and I literally saw people flying out of empty swimming pools, that was my wow moment. There was like a danger factor. There was this edgy factor. And I just devoted myself to it. I want to learn how to fly. One of my worst injuries in the beginning was I got a concussion. I knocked my teeth out. I knew when I woke up in the pro shop of the skate park that I wanted to get back out there and do it. I can't believe people still recognize me. You know, it's weird. Skateboarding now, some people get into it to be rich or famous. When I got into it, neither one of those things was even possible. For more with Tony Hawk, including how he almost lost control of his brand, check out episode 234 of The Jordan Harbinger Show.